I have really, really loved this series on Summer Psalms. And uh, I was thinking back to when I was a youth pastor, way, way back in the day. And as a youth pastor, Kyle will understand this, as a youth pastor, you're not supposed to have favorite students, okay? You just, you, you, you can't. That's like as a parent, you know, you say, you know, you're not supposed to have a favorite child. And, uh, and so as a youth pastor, you're not supposed to have favorite students, but I did. In all honesty, I'll be honest with you, I had, had favorite students. And one of my favorite students when I was a youth pastor was a young lady by the name of Candace. Candace was a wonderful young lady, and um, she she had a little bit of a rough family life and stuff. And and she was she was diligent in being at church, grew in her faith, really became a leader within our youth group. And and uh, it was awesome just having Candace be a part of the of the youth group. And because of the kind of family situation that she was in, um, you know, I kind of I kind of saw her. Uh, as a daughter kind of situation. And so when I was, when I was youth pastor and Kyle, you probably have the same thing. I would get invited to a ton of graduations. Now in California, it's a little bit different. Um, in California, you get invited to the actual graduation. The thing I love about Michigan is that you get invited to the party after the graduation, right? You get to go for the food, you know, you get to say hi to the graduate and everything. In California, you have to endure the graduation, okay? And when you've been to one graduation, you've been to all of them. And so for me, I would get invited to all of these graduations and it's not like a five or 10 minute commitment. You know how it is. It's like an hour and a half or two hours of being at a commencement ceremony. And so I figured out a way around that. And I would kind of get there about half hour, 45 minutes into the ceremony so that I would miss all of the junk and get there in time so that when they were introducing the students and they'd walk across the stage and I could walk and go, ah, I saw you up there, way to go, you know, high five them and stuff like that. It'd mean a lot to them. And so Candace was graduating from El Camino High School and I got invited to, to go to her graduation. And, uh, and so I did what I had been doing. I showed up 30 to 45 minutes into Candace's graduation, and I showed up just in time for the closing of the graduation. They were done. And they finished, and I'm like looking frantically for Ken. I, you know, I walk in, I'm like, hey, congratulations, high five, way to go. That is so awesome. I'm so proud of you. Never said, hey, I saw you on stage, because that would be a lie. And, um, and so, you know, I just high fived her and everything, and, and, and I thought, we're good to go. Everything's good, everything's done. Until about a week or two later, we got done with our, with our youth leadership uh, meeting at Roundtable Pizza, which was right across the street from our church. And as we're leaving, Candace kind of caught me and she just said, hey, just a real quick question. I still remember this to this day. We were standing outside the door of Roundtable Pizza and she said, hey, I'm just wondering, did you, did you like miss my graduation? She was like, did you... Did you miss me walking across the stage? Do you understand how I felt in that moment? 
I felt like the biggest jerk in the world. And I, I couldn't even hardly look at her. I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. I was late. I was late and I missed it. And she started to tear up. And she said, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm so disappointed in you. And she began to tell me how much that simple act of mine hurt her. Have you ever had a situation like that? Have you ever had a situation where you disappointed or hurt somebody? Have you ever done something that is so painful to someone that it crushes you when you're confronted with it? Well, that's kind of what we're going to be looking at in the Psalms today. In your Bibles, if you will, turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, whether you have your book version, you got it on a tablet or on your phone, Psalm 51. And the Psalm we're looking at today deals with a situation that is just like that. Okay? So uh, Psalm 51 is a Psalm of confession and repentance. A psalm of confession and repentance. Now, a lot of the psalms we've been looking at, they're kind of the happy, happy, joy, joy psalms, right? Well, this one's not. But I honestly believe it's a psalm that we need today. A psalm of confession and repentance. But a psalm of confession and repentance about what? Well, that's a great question. So let's look at it. If you look at the very beginning of the psalm, even before verse 1, for a lot of you, at the top, in between Psalm 51 and verse 1, it says something like this. For the music director, a psalm of David, written when Nathan the prophet confronted him after David's affair with Bathsheba. Now, a little insight is going to be helpful to Psalm 51. And as we talk about this story, as I, as I share with you this story that led to Psalm 51, I want you to know there are multiple sermons that we will and can and someday will kind of look at coming out of this story. But I don't have enough time for that sermon. This, this story is merely a conduit into Psalm 51. The story, the historical occurrence of what David writes his psalm based on takes place in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. You don't need to turn there. You can write that down if you want to. 2 Samuel 11 and 12. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 starts this way. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, who is the commanding general of the army of Israel and Judah, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now let's just connect two lines here. In the springtime, at the times when at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time by his own choosing. So I'm going to paraphrase for you. So David, while his men are out at war where he's supposed to be, he's back in Jerusalem. One night he can't sleep. 
having a rough night sleeping. In fact, I will admit, I woke up this morning at probably 3 o'clock in the morning. Rough night, right? Dave's having a rough night of sleep. So he thinks, I'm just going to go walk it off. I'm going to just go for a little walk. He walks around the roof of, of the, the palace. And as he's walking, he spots this woman bathing by moonlight. And instead of going, whoop, nope, not supposed to look at that, David lingers and he stares and he watches this woman bathe and the lust begins to grow within him and he calls one of his servants. He says, hey, hey, who is that? And the servant says, isn't that, isn't that Bathsheba? Isn't that Bathsheba? And her father is this guy and, and she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And so David knows that she's a married woman, that she's the daughter of someone important. And David says, bring her here. Runs through all the stop signs. So kind of bringing the story shorter. David ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. David sleeps with another man's wife. She comes back to him and says, I'm pregnant. David goes into spin control. David begins to look at it and go, okay, how do I cover this up? I got it. So he sends out and he sends and he sends for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, invites him back from the war front. And he's got it all worked out. He brings, he brings Uriah in. He says, hey man, how are things going at the front? Like he really cares. And they have a conversation. They have dinner together. And he says, listen, man, I know it's rough up there. Why don't you go home and wash your feet and be with your wife? And so Uriah leaves the palace. And instead of going home to be with his wife, he literally sleeps on the doorstep of the palace with the king's servants. And David catch, catches wind of this the next day. And he says to Uriah, why didn't you go back and you know, be with your wife and sleep with your wife? And Uriah says, how can I do that? How can I go home and sleep with my wife when my, my master Joab and the, and the Israelite army is in battle? I can't do that. And David says, all right, hang out here one more night, and then I'll send you back to the battlefront. And so, so uh, David winds him and dines him that night. Scripture says literally that David got him drunk, and he sent him away, hoping, fingers crossed, that Uriah would go back and sleep with his wife. But you know what that dude did? He slept on the front doorstep of the palace again. So David finds this out and he writes a note to Joab. And he says, Joab, I want you to take Uriah and I want you to put him at the front point, at the tip of the spear, where the battle is the, is, is the most fierce. And when the battle rises to its crescendo, I want you to pull the army back, leaving Uriah to defend himself so that he'll be killed. So Joab... Being the leader that he is, he obeys his king. He puts Uriah at the tip of the spear. The battle just comes unglued. And at the climax of the battle, the entire army of Israel backs off. And Uriah is killed in battle. Joab sends message back to King David that, that Uriah is, in fact, dead. David is free and clear. He invites Bathsheba into the palace, and they, and, and they end up uh, having a child. So fast forward a year. This is where chapter 12 comes in. Fast forward a year. The prophet Nathan. David thinks everything's okay. David thinks everything's okay. Everything's humming along as it should in the kingdom. Prosperous, profitable, you know, peaceful, whatever. Everything's good. And Nathan the prophet gets an audience with King David. 
And he says, King David, we got a problem. We got a problem. There's a rich man and a poor man who live in this one particular city. And the rich man has all of these sheep and cattle. He's so wealthy. And the poor man has one little ewe lamb. And this poor man loves this little lamb. That lamb eats from his plate and drinks from his cup. His children play with this little lamb. It's like a child to this man. And the rich man, he had a bunch of friends come in from out of town. And so instead of taking one of his many sheep or cattle, he went over and he took the poor man's lamb and served it as a meal to his friends. And scripture says that David became enraged. And he said, that man should die. He has to give back four times the amount of what he's stolen from that poor man. And Nathan looks him in the eye. And he says these words. You are that man. You talk about a knife to the heart. And then Nathan talks about what David did. And he talks about God's judgment upon David. And then David simply says, I have sinned against the Lord. And I imagine knowing how, how David is. I imagine that if you've ever been in that situation where you, where you thought things were good, like I did with Candace. And then when you're confronted with that, how you feel, I picture David as the emotional person that he is crumbling to the ground. Can't even look Nathan in the eye and simply says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And now you have the background of Psalm 51. Now you can understand what David wrote when he wrote Psalm 51. I'm going to read it slowly. And I want you to drink in what you can feel from what David wrote. He wrote this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your loyal love, because of your great compassion. Wipe away my rebellious acts. Wash away my wrongdoing. Cleanse me of my sin, for I am aware of my rebellious acts. I am forever conscious of my sin against you. You above all, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. So you are just when you confront me. You are right when you condemn me. Look, I, I was guilty of sin from birth, a sinner, the moment my mother conceived me. Look, I, you desire integrity in the inner man. You want me to possess wisdom. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be pure. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven. May the bones you crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilt. 
Create for me a pure heart, O God. Renew a resolute spirit within me. Do not reject me. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. Then I will teach rebels your merciful ways and sinners will turn to you. Rescue me from the guilt of murder, O God, the God who delivers me. Then my tongue will shout for joy because of your righteousness. O Lord, give me the words, then my mouth will praise you. Certainly, you do not want a sacrifice or else I would offer it. You do not desire a burnt sacrifice. The sacrifice God desires is a humble spirit. Oh God, a humble and repentant heart you will not reject. Can you feel where David is as he writes this? Can you sense the heaviness of his heart and the hope that he has that God will in fact deliver him? So there are three things. There's so much more. I could spend weeks on this message, but there are three things from this psalm, things that I hope will help us not only in our relationship with God, but our relationship with others. And we start out the three, from the three things that I want to share. We start out with a clarifying point. The first thing is a clarifying point, and it's this. Confession and, and repentance are two different things. Remember, I told you that this psalm is a psalm of confession and repentance. And what you and I need to understand this morning is this, that confession and repentance are two different things. Okay, we need even more clarity. Okay, we need to understand what repentance is. Repentance is that $20 word that simply means about face. It means to do a 180 degree turn. It means that we are walking in sin, walking away from God, living a life that takes us away from life and God, moving towards death. And we, repentance is doing a 180 degree turn and moving back to God. That's it. That's the $20 word. That's what repentance means. Repentance means it's a 180 degree turn in our life that we turn away from sin and move back to God. We turn away from death and move back to life, okay? Now, to our point. Confession and repentance are two different things. Think about that for a moment. You and I realize you can confess to something but not repent from it, right? Right? You can confess to something but not repent from it. My daughters know this full well. They know that there's a difference. I think I've shared this with you before between when I say I apologize and when I say I'm sorry. When I say I apologize, I am acknowledging no wrongdoing in what I'm doing. In fact, a lot of times I say things like, hey, I apologize that you took it that way, <laughs> right? That is not, that's just an acknowledgement, right? That's what confession is. Repentance is turning away, okay? I can confess to you that I took your mounds bar, but not repent and give it back to you or repay you for the bar. Confession and repentance are two different things. 
In a relationship, confession means very little without repentance. Am I right? Think about your relationships. Confession means very little without repentance. Ready for this? Healing begins with repentance. Healing in any and every relationship begins with repentance between a husband and wife, between a parent and a child, between friends or coworkers or fellow students. Many times saying I'm sorry doesn't mean anything if there isn't a genuine repentance of the heart. Healing begins with repentance. And maybe there are some of you here today that are in a strained or broken relationship, a relationship that you value. And you know you've done something wrong, but we justify ourselves by saying, I have done something wrong, but it is nothing compared to what that person did to me. Can I challenge you? It doesn't matter. Let the healing start with you. Let the healing start with you. I love what the apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 12, 18. He wrote this. He wrote, if possible, so far as it depends on you. So far as it depends on you. Say that with me. So far as it depends on you, not so far as it depends on the situation, not so far as it depends on the circumstances, not so far as it depends on the other person and whether they listen or they acknowledge or they repent. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So far as it depends on you. What Paul writes and what God says is this. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to be at peace with this person. Do it. Do it. Which leads us to our, our next two things. And the next two things are going to sound very much alike. But I guarantee you they are very different. So the first thing is that confession and repentance are two completely different things. The next thing is this. You ready? The weight of the situation The weight that we feel in a situation, the weight of guilt, the weight of pain that we feel when we've caused pain to someone else, the weight of the situation is not because of what I did wrong, but because of who I did wrong to. The weight of the situation is not because of what I did wrong, but because of who I did wrong to. Two unique situations that we've talked about this morning. The weight of my situation was not because I missed a graduate walk across the stage. The weight of it was because I missed Candace walk across the stage. Someone who looked up to me and someone who mattered to me. David's situation, the weight of David's situation was not just the sexual sin with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband. The weight of the situation was that David broke God's heart and God mattered to David. Is there someone in your life? Is there someone in your life that you need to confess and repent to? Maybe guilt has kept you from talking to that person. 
maybe pride has kept you from connecting with that person. But I want to let you in on a little secret. I want to let you in on how God sees this. You ready for this? And these all tie together. The relationship is what matters. Not who was right and who was wrong. Not the fact that I did something, but they did something bigger to me. No, no, no. The relationship is what matters, period. And God says, get the relationship right. And then do whatever it takes to get the relationship right. If that means I have to swallow my pride and walk up to a person and say, heartfelt, I was wrong. And I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Not expecting them to say, I forgive you and I am so sorry. I would, no, no, no. They may never apologize. They may never come clean. They may never confess and repent, but that doesn't depend on you. As Paul said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, say that with me, so far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. The relationship is what matters. Not my pride, not who did what to who, because the weight of the situation is not because of what I did, but because of who I did wrong to. The second thing that's like it but vastly different is this. The weight of the situation is not because of what I did wrong, but, but that I wronged someone who thinks I matter. It's not what I did. The weight is not because of what I did, but because I wronged someone who thinks I matter. A big part of the pain with Candace is that I mattered to her. It wasn't just a graduation. It was the fact that, that, that I was an important person in her life who she wanted to share this momentous occasion with. And I missed it. I botched it because I was important to her. David's situation, David recognized that he caused pain to God because he mattered to God. After all, the Bible says this about David. In Psalm 17, 8, David was the apple of God's eye. Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, David recognized that he mattered to God. And here's the thing, my friends, in closing. Here's the thing that should matter most to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Most of us look at our relationship with God from the perspective of, of judge and defendant. That's, that, honestly, if we were honest, that's kind of how we look at our relationship with God. I broke the law, I pay the price, and then I get back in right relationship, right? I broke the law, I pay the price. Judge, defendant. So when I sin, I come to God like I'm coming to court, I admit my guilt, I confess my guilt, and I pay the price. And because we view our relationship with God, the depth of that sin in our life doesn't, it doesn't compute to us why it matters to God. And here's why. It's because God doesn't look at us that way. God doesn't look at you like judge defendant. No, no, no. 
Here's the thing. God loves you. And I start out very often my messages saying, if you don't hear anything else I say today, make sure you hear this. God loves you. You, You're not a defendant who has to prepare a case before the Lord. God loves you. You're not the defendant. You are the apple of God's eye. You are a chosen child of God. And when we go against God, it crushes his heart because we aren't breaking the law. We're breaking the relationship And that's what's crushing to God. When we do wrong, when we sin, it's not like God says, you are convicted. God says, my heart aches because you have separated yourself from me. You have separated yourself from me and I want to be with you, whatever the cost. And that, my friends, is why our sin should grieve our own hearts. It's why my sin should break me. It's why your sin should break you. Because when I sin, I break the heart of the one who believes that I matter. When I sin, I break the heart of the one who loves me most in this world. There was a punk band in the 1980s by the name Altar Boys. And I loved the altar boys. I still do. And they had a song called Broken. And, uh, and it was a great psalm. Uh, at least a lot of it was based on Psalm 51. And part of the lyrics said this, and I want you to listen to it. They sang this, won't you hear my cry, God? See this state I'm in? I know my transgressions are before me. My righteousness is rags. My sacrifice to you is this broken heart. It's all that I have. It's all I can give. And it won't go very far because it's broken. And I'm broken. Broken to see myself as I really am. A weak, broken man. Broken. Broken. Please heal this broken heart today. Don't turn it away because it's broken. And I remember, I remember being like a college student and an intern and and I was like in my early to mid 20s and I would drive my 1957 Willys Jeep and I'd be driving and I'd be listening to this song and I literally would be crying. I would be bawling tears because I realized my sin was crushing my heart because it separated me from one who thought I'm important. It separated me from the one who loves me more than anyone else in this world. It broke my heart. It broke the relationship with God, the one who thinks I matter, the one who loves me so much that he died for me, the one who loves you so much that he died for you. And that's the psalm that David wrote. The depth and the grip of his sin crushed him. And when that happens, all you want is to be right with that person and to be right with God. 
and it takes confession and repentance because repentance is where the healing starts. And God will restore. And my friends, that is the joy of this psalm. This psalm is not only a psalm of of brokenness, but it's a psalm of restoration. And so I have three three questions for you to focus on this morning. The band's gonna come out and we're gonna sing one more song. But I have three questions just to share with you to go over as you process Psalm 51. And it's this. The first question is, why is repentance so important to healing in relationships? Why is repentance so important to healing in relationships? Number two, Do you take confession and repentance seriously when it comes to your relationship with God? Or do you just see him as the judge and you're the defendant? Because if you realize, and if I realized what our sin does to God, how it breaks his heart and how it breaks our relationship with him, you and I would begin to think about that differently. Do you take confession and repentance seriously when it comes to your relationship with God? And number three, who have you, who have you had a broken relationship with that needs repair? Do you have somebody that you have a broken relationship with that you need to repair? Putting aside the pride, putting aside the, the, the excuses of, well, that person started it or that person did this to me, putting aside the third grader in all of us and recognizing what the Apostle Paul recognized, that as far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on me, whatever it takes, may I be at peace with all people. Would you stand up with me, please? Father, thank you so much for this time together. God, thank you for David's example. I am so thankful, God, that you did not have and inspire people to write only good and happy things. For sure they're in there, but God, we see the reality of life that even someone who was considered the apple of your eye, somebody who was a person after your own heart, committed a heinous crime worthy of death. And it broke him so much that he cried out to you for redemption and reconciliation that would return him to a right relationship of love and peace with you. Father, I pray that I would see my sin that way. I pray that I would see my sin as not as a law that I have broken, but as a relationship I have devastated. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to my wife. I don't want to do that to my daughters. I don't want to do that to the people here. And I don't want to do that to you. May my spirit be crushed and my heart be broken to the point where I come running back to your arms for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your mercy, 
to live in your love. God, build my life in such a way that you and I grow closer together in love. We pray these things in